our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our God, and our Redeemer. On this uh, third Sunday in Lent, we find ourselves with a passage in the Gospel of Luke that's not in any of the, of the Gospels. It's sort of a difficult passage to understand. At times, it seems to contradict itself, saying opposite things. And I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I hear the words repent, my initial instinct is to feel. So it's such a difficult passage that's hard to understand that seems to come to us that might bring us fear within ourselves. This story begins with people telling Jesus about a tragedy. This is something rare in the Gospels. Rarely do we hear people coming up to tell Jesus something that Jesus doesn't know about. Mostly in the Gospels, Jesus, as God in human flesh, is presented as omniscient, knowing everything. But here, it's a little bit different. We begin with people running to Jesus to tell him something, telling that something terrible has happened. We don't exactly know what this particular tragedy was, but scholars have come to some sort of educated text, trying to make sense of what's going on. The first thing that they surmise is that this tragedy happened during the Passover. We hear that their blood was mixed with the blood of the sacrifices, and the only time that people were actually close enough to make the sacrifices during the time Passover. Otherwise, it would be the priests making the sacrifice. We hear that they're from Galilee. We practice this means that they were zealots. They were people who were firmly against the occupation of the Roman Empire. That they were trying to overthrow the Roman Empire by force. So scholars think that what was going on was during Passover when all the Jews were in Jerusalem. There was a group of zealots who were trying to incite rebellion, and Pilate, not wanting a riot, not wanting the city in upheaval, had them all murdered in the vicinity of the temple where their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifices to Passover to God. Central to this story is the age-old question: Do people suffer because they do wrong? Or the even bigger question: Why do people suffer? Or why does God allow suffering? Or why does suffering exist? I like to take a step back here, and I think we have to ask ourselves: What were these people's motivations? Why were they bringing this to Jesus? Were they just thinking to hear God say, Hey, Jesus, did you hear what happened? Were they trying to see what side Jesus was on? Was Jesus going to be on the side of the zealots and speak out against the Roman Empire? Were they somehow trying to make themselves feel good? Look what happened to those 
terrible people over there. Aren't you glad that you are not I don't think we can ever solve this exercise in imagination, but whatever their motivation, it seems to somehow be self-saving because Jesus flips the script on them, as he does so many times again and again. He first addresses the question of the relationship between evil things that happen and the moral character of the person involved. Common view at the time is that God rules as punishment and reward depending on a person's character. I can say this is also with us at this time. I think this is a natural reaction to humans. Maybe you've been in a situation where somebody's been really sick, or you have heard yourself that other people bargaining with God. Because you just you just hear me, God. I'll do this one thing, and I'll be a better person. But Jesus says this isn't how it works. He says to those gathered around him, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. Jesus is unequivocally saying that there is not a direct link between a person's character and what this all here, Jesus is pushing strongly back against religious dogmatic thinking. Of course, this thought isn't new that he's bringing up. We have the entire book of Job in the Hebrew scriptures that pushes against this. The book where you hear about Job, the most righteous man in the world, whom the most terrible evils befall. Jesus then goes on to give another example. He talks about the 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. And he says the same thing. It's not that they were more particularly heinous. They were terrible people that this happened to them. It just happened. And he's pushing back against whatever agenda the people who were telling him this story had. Because then he flips it on them. He turns it around and he says, Unless you repent, you will all perish as they do. Now, for me, this is where that contradiction seems to appear. Because it seems that first Jesus is saying that an individual's moral action and character have no effect on what befalls them. And then he turns around and says, But if you don't perform this action, then their fate will befall you. So for some people, actually matters, for some it doesn't. I also think this is where fear enters. This talk about fate and, and, and about repentance and perishing. But I wonder, what if there isn't a large contradiction here? What if that's not what Jesus is saying? I think part of what's going on here is our negative conception of repentance. Often we conceive of repentance to be something dire, filled with shame and guilt, something that, 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 that evil people need to do. So that it's time to repent when we've done something really terrible. And while repentance may mean that, it's only a shallow 
that's only the most superficial feeling of what's going on with repentance. Repentance isn't something just for the supreme and wicked, but for all of us. It's a practice we all need to engage in. Because all repentance is, is a turning towards God. And that's what the Greek word actually means. It means to change one's mind to think differently. It's a conversion of thoughts and of thought. It's this beautiful scholar from Swabo Holland who I really like his writings on the Gospel of Luke. In thinking about this passage, he writes, This turning back to God is not that of a bad conscience alone, but the confident mark towards the loved one whom one finds again. The confident mark towards the loved one whom one finds again. Reconciliation, the reunion where all contribute something of themselves. The seriousness of the counter is not eliminated since if the step is not taken, loss is guaranteed. It is not that God is especially severe, but that there is no life This is what true repentance is. Not something we come to after particularly heinous crimes, but a readjustment, a turning back towards God. As he says, a confident march to the one who loves us and is waiting for us. Comparison doesn't result from some specific. Because life is only found in God. Because God is life. God, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, that if we are not turned towards God, we do not have life. And this is what life is all about. We fast, we pray, we take on a spiritual discipline, and we don't do this because we're Buttons for punishment, or not because we should beat ourselves up. We do these things, we walk through the path of Lent as a way of turning around, of adjusting our vision, of marching confidently toward the loved one whom we find again and again and again. There are tools that help us. I think that in these instances, if you're feeling fear that's particular, that's, that's natural, it's normal. We have the fear of uncertainty. Are we making the right decisions? Are we doing the moral thing? The process of repenting, of changing our minds, means that sometimes we have to let go of long-held beliefs. Sometimes we have to release practices and things that we hold dear, and in change like that, there's fear. There's also the fear of being in the presence of God. The fear of, 
Am I good enough to be in the presence of God? Am I somehow holy enough? We hear about this in our first lesson. We read about Moses encountering God in the burning bush, and one of the first things we're told is that Moses was afraid. He was afraid to see God's face. Sometimes being in the presence of God, or facing God directly can be overwhelming, and yet even fear producing this raw, fierce power of love. Even though we crave it, even though we heart openly long for it, is an uncontrollable force that can feel overwhelming. The great thinkers of our tradition have told us that God's love is so greater than our understanding of human love can ever be that it makes our love look like hell. That's an awesome and powerful force. If we actually do think differently, will God do that for us? Is God really there? Is divine forgiveness really as wide and as deep as we are told that it is that we will be welcomed into the arms of God? And to this year, Jesus gives us the parable of the fig tree. This tree that produced the fruit. The tree that earthly wisdom would say, it's time to let it go, it's time to cut it down, but the gardener says, no. The gardener says, give it one more year. Let's give it time to add it so it can collect water. Let's fertilize it. Let's tend it. Let's love it. Let's repent it. Thinking differently and turning around always results in us finding the gardener caring for us, loving us. So this day is Sunday of Lent. I urge you to embrace repentance, to thinking differently, to turning around, to marching forward confidently, and finding God waiting for us.